Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Today is Ash Wednesday, so on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Kajiano will give us some thoughts and some tips to get us started on the right track this Lent. Also, uh, let's clear up some of the confusion that's still out there with regard to the COVID vaccines. Hey, and uh, you know, um, instead of listening to music or politics this Lent, here's an idea. Be fed with Catholic Radio. Make a point to tune in to 1350 AM on the radio or download the Veritas Catholic Network app on your phone, and then you can always listen to uplifting conversations. You can learn more about the faith, uh, participate in spiritual devotions. You can get podcasts of Let Me Be Frank and of Restless. Take Catholic Radio with you wherever you go this Lent. Go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or visit www.veritascatholic.com to download the Veritas Catholic Network app today. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, everybody. Uh, it is my pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, we have a lot of interesting things we're going to talk about today, aren't we? we that's for sure, you know, not to mention uh, Ash Wednesday, but the, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. And, you know, I want to start uh, by first congratulating you, and not that you're not busy enough already, but you were recently appointed the International Chaplain of Legatus. Yes, uh, yes, I was, and it was a great honor. It's a great privilege. Um, yeah, uh, Mr. Monahan, who founded Legatus, um, and is still the uh, the president of Legatus, um, had contacted me at the end of the fall if I'd be willing to do it. And of course, my response is always, I, w- I will try to be of service wherever I can be. And Legatus, as you know, is a Catholic organization for business executives, CEOs, um, and others who have achieved a tremendous amount of professional uh, excellence and um they have significant leadership roles, but Legatus is really there to spiritually help them to grow. So it's not a fundraising operation, has nothing to do with that. But through community and chapters that are formed, people gather together to celebrate mass, have the sacrament of penance celebrated, um, share a meal together and learn, right? So either talks about their professions or about the faith, and it builds up a real beautiful community. And that's meant to be leaven, right, for the largest society. So I'm delighted to be part of it. And there's lots of chapters. I forget how many there are. There may be 90, more than 90 in the country now. Yeah, wow. Yeah, well, my, my wife and I were invited to uh, like an introductory um, event for them when they were opening up a chapter in Westchester. And mm-hmm. we were both really impressed with um, how seriously they took the faith. We, like mm-hmm. you said, we opened with Mass and Confession. Um, but also, we loved the idea that uh, that the events were meant to be almost like date nights for you know mm-hmm. executives and their wives or husbands together. Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly, and and it really is, um, you know, because many times when we when we have events, uh, they have multiple goals, right? Um, we're trying to do a lot of things at once. I think with Legatus, it really is the singular goal to build up the spiritual uh, and, and ecclesial life of its members, which is tremendous. Yeah. Right? 
it's it's a, it's feeding and allowing to be fed and feeding one another. So yes. um, my role as the international chaplain is to be of service to the chaplains, who then okay. are at service to the chapters. Although we have a chapter here in Fairfield County, as you know, mm-hmm. Father Jones is the chaplain, and I'll be celebrating mass for them next week, um, because unfortunately with COVID. A lot of these chapter meetings have either gone virtual, so we're going to try gradually, gradually, to create a hybrid in person and online to see whoever's comfortable to come in with with the correct numbers. We'd be fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. There's so many excellent lay organizations out there. So many opportunities mm-hmm. for folks to put their faith to practice. Mm-hmm. So, congratulations, mm-hmm. Excellency. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and before we get into um, the issue, the topic of Lent in the second mm-hmm. segment. Right now, I'd like to take some time, if you don't mind, because there's still, the USCCB was pretty clear, I thought, in, in what they said about this, but there still seems to be so much confusion about the COVID vaccines still swirling around. And, you know, we'll set aside the people who say the vaccines are the government's attempt to implant microchips in us or a, a plot by the Illuminati. But, you know, on a serious note, um, there's a recently popular bishop considered to be, quote, conservative, who's really strongly den- denouncing the vaccines. But, you know, I thought the, the, the bishop's statement from the USCCB was very thoughtful. Um, so maybe, Excellency, can you just walk us through it again? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it is quite a complicated question to unpack because we're going into some basic tenets of, of moral theology and ethics and how you apply um, our moral teachings to the concrete situations someone may face. And we always want to seek clarity where things are black and white. Now, in my field of study, which is dogma, you have a lot of that in so much as we know what we believe, and it really is a question of diving deeper by using grace and your reason to come to understand those truths better, but we, it's clear what we believe about Christ, the church, all the rest. When it comes to moral theology, we're clear about the principles, but it's the application of the principles where people will take a different stance. And in part of whether or not they will recognize the fact that when you apply moral principles to concrete situations, that the, the, the results are less than clearly black and white. All right. So there's two basic principles we have to begin with. First, as Catholics, we believe there is an objective moral order. It's not up to your opinion. And that moral order can be understood by our intellect. We can discover what that is by reason. The second thing we have to remember is there are actions that are intrinsically evil, which means they are never morally justifiable, regardless of the circumstances one finds oneself in, that they are in and of themselves evil. Okay. Now, having said that, when it comes to vaccines and it comes to many issues in life, it really is the question of cooperation. All right. So what does, and of course, St. Alphonsus Liguori is famous for this, that a lot, much of his theology, because he is really the father of moral theology in some sense. He explains a lot of this. All right. And 
Cooperation in the ethical sense is the participation of one person, myself, for example, in the activity of someone else to produce at a certain effect by our joint activity. So you are doing something, I am joining in in that act to achieve the goal you are desiring. Now that's cooperation. Now, that definition has many different shades. Okay, but you could give the example, right, of if you were an accomplice to a crime, then you are cooperating clearly with the intent, you are guilty of what's going on, right? Meanwhile, if someone had a gun to your head and forced you to drive the car, right, are you cooperating? Yes. Is it at the same level? No, obviously not. Okay, so now, there is moral, uh, uh, there is formal and material cooperation. So we're working our way to the vaccines, okay? Right. Formal cooperation is the willing participation of the person in the sinful act of the principal agent. And you could do that explicitly or implicitly. And when you formally cooperate that way, then you are sharing in the guilt of what's going on. You are morally culpable. Not to get too controversial, but when you hear a person say, I am personally opposed to something, but I will act a certain way, for example, not to prevent it, then you are talking about implicit formal cooperation, and that becomes problematic. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because one could argue, why would you not at least try to stop it? Right. Yes. All right. So now, and I'll defer to the moralists who may be listening to this podcast if I understand this correctly. But when we talk about the vaccine, it's really talking about material cooperation. And again, there it's both immediate and immediate. That means an immediate material cooperation. Okay, and material cooperation is you're involved in the act in some way, but not in the intent of the act. The moral object of the person who's cooperating is not that of the person who's doing wrong. You're not intending to do that wrong, but you're somehow cooperating in some way, shape or form. So, so far, does that make sense? It does. So formal would be like the bag man in the robbery. Material would be, for example, like the taxi that they call to drive them away. Oh, one shape or form. Or, or for example, um, material would be the nurse um, who may be in some way, shape or form caring for someone who had a procedure that would be intrinsically evil. You're cooperating, mm -hmm. but you're caring for the person too. Yes. So there's different gradations of material cooperation. And the more remote it is, the more it can be morally acceptable because there are other goods that are being created by the material cooperation because you are not intending the evil outcome. See, that's the major distinction here. So the question with the vaccines, particularly the Moderna and Pfizer, it all comes down to the use of fetal cells, right? 
And they are not used. They are used in some of the far more remote parts of preparation, if I remember correctly, but they are not involved in the actual creation of the vaccine and they are not involved in the production of the vaccine. So therefore, is there some some connection? Yes, but it is so far remote that the Congregation of Doctrine of the Faith, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, has made it clear by any rational moral analysis, it is so far remote, and you are not intending the act itself, the evil act itself of the abortion that occurred 50 years ago. It's so far remote that it is morally acceptable because of the greater goods that are being created, including, all right, not only your own health, but that which you will then be able to, the protection of those around you for the larger moral good of society. Okay, so now, for those people who are arguing vehemently to say, that is impossible, you cannot do this, and therefore you must not have the vaccine, including one of my brother bishops, okay? The truth is, there have been times before there was a Hyde Amendment or before there was a Helms Amendment that pre prevented the federal government from financing abortions directly in the, in the United States or even cooperating with agencies who promoted them abroad. There were times when federal money was used for those purposes. So by that definition, there is cooperation from anybody who pays taxes to the United States. So if you take the logic with... How do you come to a conclusion to say, is that morally culpable then? Do you remember Father Berrigan who said it was morally illicit, it was, it was morally impermissible to pay taxes because they were making nuclear bombs? But how remote can it be before it is acceptable? Because the truth of the matter is, by paying taxes, you are sponsoring activities that violate the church's teaching on life. But, but do you not pay taxes? And of course the answer is you have to weigh that the stability of society and the good that society creates has to be taken into account because the cooperation is so remote you don't share in the intent that it can be morally permissible. And that's ultimately what the analysis is on the vaccines. Again, the desire of the human heart is that we have a world that is clearly clearly black and white, good versus evil. And our role is to stand with the good. And that is exactly what we wanna do. But when you apply it to the real life in which we live, it becomes much more complicated because then you are sacrificing other goods provided the cooperation is not proximate. It has to be so far remote that you are not both not intending the evil done and that the cooperation is so far remote that the good that is achieved has to weigh into the conclusion that you draw. Now, I hope that makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, you know, when you, when you put it in the light of taxes, it makes even more sense because, uh, right, because we, we all still pay taxes, uh, even though some of the money the government uses in not good ways. Right. You know, it's it's like um, we're also remotely cooperating with evil uh, when we buy an iPhone, which I have an iPhone because they're made in China 
that government oppresses the church and ethnic people like the Uyghurs. So, um, it yeah. De- yeah. So, so yeah. It, so the analysis is, um, it, it, it's time consuming. It's extraordinarily important. It it requires discipline of thought. It requires fidelity to the church's moral principles, and it really demands dialogue to be able to understand what is it we can and cannot do because we do not want to proximately cooperate with evil. We never formally want to cooperate with evil, never, never. And in material cooperation, weigh the benefits. So for example, to give you another example, go back to my, what I said before. If a nurse refused to care for a woman who had a tubal ligation because she believed she was in some level cooperating with the evil that this woman may have committed. In Catholic principle, does that make sense? Would not make sense, nope. But in a world that's black and white, <clears throat> you would say absolutely, you should have absolutely no sense, no co- nothing. That makes no sense. Yeah, yep. Because right? you're not involved in the procedure, you're not involved in the act, but you're caring for this person, but there is some level of cooperation because without your help, this person could not in fact have completed this process. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of discipline to work this through. Now, having said all that, if a person in conscience feels that the remoteness is not remote enough for them, okay, in conscience, then they should not take the vaccine. They're not obligated to take the vaccine. They need not do that because you need to be at peace with your conscience. But on the other hand, those individuals need to realize that they should not judge nor condemn those who have come to the reasoning that it is so that so far remote that the larger good does outweigh it as this congregation of the doctrine of faith has said. So it's a personal moral choice in conscience but that should not be then the litmus test to criticize everyone else who have legitimate moral reasons and grounds to receive the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are two really important points because there's, there also is some confusion that some people think that the church is telling you to take the vaccine, which clearly is not the case. No. Um, and No. Yeah. No, I mean, certainly... I think if we want to take seriously the mandate of the Lord to protect life, then one could argue if you are vaccinated and if over time the vaccine proves to diminish the viral load one carries so that you are not infectious, then that's a compelling reason to weigh whether or not to be vaccinated because then you can become the agent of sickness and death to someone else. That's a great moral imperative. Then you question yourself if you don't take the vaccine and because you did not, someone in contact with you does fall ill and possibly die. What's the level of cooperation in that? You see, it's complicated, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah, like you said, you know, some things in theology are black and white, but in the moral world, there's. Uh, it's nice to have um, the magisterium to guide us. Exactly, exactly. And unfortunately, we live in a world where the magisterium doesn't always speak with one voice. 
And we live in a world where everyone believes that they, <laughs> uh, forgive me for putting it this way, that they, are, that they have come to the conclusion more accurately than everybody else. I wonder to myself, how is that different from the secular principle that my life is all about me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it just clothed in, different, in a different way? See, that's part of what I find quite fascinating here. And, and I am not judging anyone, but these are the sort of questions that the time has come for us to talk about in a very frank and honest way. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, can I ask you one more thing about the vaccines? When the US CCB statement came out, mm -hmm. they made a distinction between the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and the AstraZeneca vaccine. Is that still whole yes, true? very okay. much the case. Yes, very much the case. Because the AstraZeneca vaccine, for what I understand, used uh, uh, aborted fetal cells. In the production. It, correct. Yes. Okay, so that is a different, that's a different ball of wax. It really is. Now, so if there was a, qu a question between choosing the Moderna or Pfizer versus the AstraZeneca, then I think the moral imperative is to use the Pfizer and Moderna and not the AstraZeneca, right? right? That's clear. Yes. The real conundrum is if there's no other vaccine available but the AstraZeneca, where do you, what is the, what, what's the conclusion to be drawn? Right. And again, it is, a, it is a moral reasoning process. My understanding is, Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith said, that if there's no other alternative, it is still remote enough, the cooperation, to be able to use it because of the greater good that's achieved by using it. But a person in conscience, particularly here in the United States, where there may be access to multiple types of vaccines, that can be a, a reason to pause and say, I do want the vaccine, but I'm not going to take that one. I will wait till I can take, you know, this other one. Right. Where the cooperation is even further remote. See, those are legitimate questions to ask. Right. For a person. Yeah. Because, again, we have to be in our conscience. We have to be at peace in our conscience that is well informed to be able to act. Right. Appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap it up for folks, it, uh, we may receive the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccines in good conscience. We do not have to receive a vaccine if we do not want to. Um, and the congregation of the doctrine of the faith made it clear, even actually, excellency, I saw that even going back to 2008, the CDF. So that's Pope Benedict sixteenth CDF for course, anybody who- Absolutely. Of course right. it is. Yeah. Of course it is. Of course it is. It has nothing to do with who the Pope is. Right. Right? The truth is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of of, the, of being the faith. Catholic. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, by God's grace, we won't have to be talking about this next year or even in six months from now. Oh, I hope so. I pray for that every day. I just, I, I just wonder. And the only reason I wonder is, you know, for something that is inanimate, which technically a virus is inanimate, mm -hmm. it needs its host, right, to survive. 
viruses will do anything that is naturally possible to stay alive, relevant. Yep. Right? So the variants are only the beginning of what I think can happen here. So we have to pray. That's why there's an urgency in the vaccine, too. Because just to close our conversation, if it is proven that the vaccine does prevent contagion, the only way you're going to stop the variants, okay, is to stop the contagion. Right. Otherwise, they will continue to create variants. I just read recently in one individual who had COVID in the summer, who has subsequently died, that man had 26 variants of COVID in his system. Wow. Because the virus will keep mutating to make sure it can find a host. Wow. Yeah, it's scary, but that's how nature works. All right, Excellency, let's um, let's take a break and we let's switch topics and, and talk about Lent when we come back. Okay, you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So. Let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, Excellency, last week uh, you had an excellent conversation with Paul Jarzembowski about finding hope from the ashes and Ash Wednesday. And I just wanted to see... uh, because we gave Paul a lot of time. I want to see if there's anything else you wanted to add to your thoughts about Ash Wednesday. Well, I mean, like I mentioned last week, it, when I was young, I loved Ash Wednesday. And so when Paul had said that he was fascinated, he had, a, you know, he, he loved the coming to the day. And I, I remember how... Um, how inviting it was as a little kid to go to church and to know that something was very different. And in those days to see these huge numbers of people coming and how I wore my ashes proudly. I remember I used to tell my mother, can I wash my face? Can I touch them? I remember without doubt. And then sometimes when the priest would give you like real ashes and they'd sprinkle down i'd be looking for them as a little boy like, where did they go i, I can't step on them <laughs> you know and you look back and you say oh that's kind of silly but on the other hand there's a beauty to that for a little child there's something so deep it, you're engaging the heart remember it's about the h-e-a-r-t first and foremost engaging the heart You've heard me say it before in the Gospel of St. John, Jesus says, what? What are you looking for? He didn't say, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. Right? So, so Ash Wednesday always engaged my heart. 
It still does. It still does. And I wonder to myself, in the wisdom of the church, in the 21st century, what else have we not yet discovered that can engage the heart to conversion, to penance, all right? or to even thanksgiving, or to praise? We have to find the way to engage the heart. So my only point about Ash Wednesday that I would just want to reiterate is um, it's, it is the day when we can no longer escape that which we want to escape the other 364 days. Hmm. That there will be a day for me which will have no tomorrow. Yep. And what do I do with that? Yep. Memento mori. And nine, exactly. And 99% of the time, I just don't even want to go there. Imagine if we all did, hmm. how the world would be different. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. We'd change so the now the question is, what are you doing in Lent? What do you, have you decided yet what you're going to do? Yeah, so I, um, I, the, way I look, uh, the way I'm looking at it this year, Excellency, and actually you can tell me if I'm, if I'm uh, off track, but uh, every Lent, you know, I say, okay, I'm going to give up alcohol for these 40 days or I'm going to give up sweets or fried foods or whatever. And then I come out at the end of Lent. Um, oh, excuse me. That's not Lent. That's prison. If you do that, that's prison. Okay. So let's, okay, let's be clear. <laughs> well, I, I, yes, in, in many ways. But, you know, I was thinking about it this, this year and I said, I, I, I want to come out on the other side of Lent more than just in better shape or in better health, but um, mm-hmm. spiritually better. So uh, I want to add something that will that will make me grow spiritually. So I'm gonna um, spend at least thirty minutes uh, in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day. And uh, um, actually, that was that was all I had come up with. Um, so I guess I, I got to get started. Well, it's but. tremendous. Well, if you do that, it's <laughs> tremendous for Lent. It's tremendous. Um, I have, you know, it's it's fun. It's funny. We get along because we kind of think alike, which is scary. <laughs> <laughs> for which one but, of us? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, our listeners could decide that. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> we could have a poll. <laughs> no, but um, I have decided... To do nothing. Not nothing in discipline, but to reserve time every day to do nothing. Because I live a frenetic life. An absolutely frenetic life. Yeah. Part of it is the duties and responsibilities I have, and part of it is my personality, to be very honest. Okay, I am my own worst enemy. Ask any of my friends, the few I have left. They will tell you. Okay, they will tell you. Right, but I have made a commitment when the weather is good to just simply take some time and walk Hmm. and not pray the rosary and not you know, be conscious of anything other than trying to empty my mind. And when the weather is bad, 
to sit in my little lounge chair and do that. Because I already spent time before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And, and I also, of course, with, with the office and all that, and the almsgiving, all that stuff for Lent, I would do that abstinence. That's not the point. Because I am doing too much talking. And I'm not allowing the Lord the space to speak. It's, it is not good. Recreation, recreation is not meant to be activity to follow other activity. It is meant to create the space that allows you to be recreated by the Lord. So in a sense, for the first time in Lent, I'm going to attempt just to sit with no agenda. And, see, and I have every confidence the Lord's going to use that time to speak to me in ways up to this point I have been too busy, too distracted, and too tired to hear. That would be a tremendous way to spend Lent. So that's what I've started to do. It's amazing. It's something, um, I, I think n- nobody does this enough, but there's something very beautiful about this idea of just wasting time with God. It's not wasted it's, oh, time. That's beautiful. Exactly. Oh, that's beautifully said, Steve. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. It's not wasting time. But in the world in which we live, and my personality the way it is, and my duties and responsibilities, every minute has to be focused to do something. Right. But to do nothing is doing something with God. Yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. 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 So, uh, so far, it has been interesting. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, it's, it's about withdrawal, right, in the end. It's going to take time to, to, to but I'm, this could be, become a habit of a lifetime, I hope. Yeah, yeah, I'm mine too. That's what I'm hoping. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, it means that uh, maybe, well, COVID permitting, you and I could still maybe get together and have a steak and a, and a whiskey or something. <laughs> oh, without a doubt, my friend. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not going to prison. I'm observing Lent. There's a difference. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> let me, you know, I'd like to ask you, let's see. So today's Ash Wednesday. We're talking about Lent. We're thinking about Lent. Um, we are in the, still in the midst of this COVID pandemic, you know, lockdown. Uh, I don't know how else to put it, but so, you know, for me, uh, I have the benefit of having an office that is pretty empty so I can go to the office. But a lot of days that I, you know, do work from home, my kids are there a lot of days doing home school from home. It's frenetic. It's, you know, busy. And you're talking about getting away and having time in quiet, you know, somebody who's in a house full of people. How, how do you do that? Yeah. How do we do that? Walk. 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 I think the discipline of taking a walk is extremely important because there's also a rhythm to it. You see, in my two quarantines leading up to this decision to do nothing for Jesus, um, it was tough going to, to really sit and do nothing because other things impinge. I should be doing this. I, I could be praying the rosary now rather than later. I could do this, that, and the other. Or your mind goes to your homily, which you're going to preach or whatever else. So to truly empty your mind and to do nothing 
stationary for me is harder than when I'm walking. And I'm not yeah. sure why. And maybe just that's just me. Yeah. But for your in your case, my friend, with your house filled with kids and all the rest, you may want to take a different route every day if you can and just walk the time. Yeah. And that, that could be a way to do it. And then going back to what you said before, I don't have to walk and say the rosary, which a lot of times I feel like, okay, I should say, I should use this time. I just kind of be quiet, listen right. to the sounds out there. Right. right. And just watch. Right. Exactly. I gave a homily to this young people at St. Thomas Aquinas School virtually. And I talked about the, the, it was the reading was the Garden of Eden and the creation of Adam. And I spoke to them about the idea of being a steward because it said to Adam was given the care of all these things. And um, I challenged them and myself to say, okay, one of the ways you're a good steward is when you're grateful for what you have around you. The question is, if you're always distracted and busy, you don't even see what's around you. So how many sunsets did we have a, an opportunity to glance at simply because we were on the merit driving in the right direction? Hmm. Otherwise, who would have taken the time to even observe or sunrise? Yeah. Or even a beautiful snowfall, as much as it can be annoying. But when it first comes, it's beautiful. Yes. It's beautiful. Right? So that emptying of oneself is precisely creating a sacred space where um, you will hear and learn and discern what otherwise you will miss. Hmm. And at this point in my life, I think I've missed a good amount with all the busyness. So before I stand in judgment, I think it's time to get on the program. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there there are going to be Still, I think most people will still be giving something up for Lent. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you could talk about, I mean, there is great benefit to doing that. Uh, you don't have to do something extra like I've chosen to do or, or you've chosen to do, but yes, maybe I you could talk it's about tr- that. Tremendous. Remember, rule number one, purity of intention. Be honest with yourself. Am I giving up candy, carbohydrates, and cake? to accumulate money for the poor, or am I doing it to lose weight or lower my cholesterol? What ultimately are we doing the things we're doing it for? And I am not suggesting that you cannot have secondary benefits. So I have gained 18 pounds, horrible, <laughs> okay? If I, if I were to give up chocolate, which I'm not going to, but if I were, okay, it has to have the intent, a spiritual discipline and intent behind it. If it has, an associated reason as well to lose weight, that's great. But you don't have to do that in Lent. You could do that anytime you want. <laughs> right? So that's part of it. Right? There has to be clarity as to why you're doing it. And my suggestion to the listeners is, is a challenge to myself is don't separate yourself from things of the world necessarily, but separate yourself from the behavior of your life that you should eliminate. So the language we use, this is the time 
when we have fallen into habits of using either foul language or language that's inappropriate or jokes that are inappropriate or just rude and abrasive expression. Get rid of that before you get rid of the chocolate. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So, so I think, yes, you can, without a doubt, the, 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 the discipline of denying yourself has, has a root to it that goes to ultimately what I will be preaching on the first Sunday of Lent. Because it's the Sunday of the temptations. But everyone needs to realize that the Lord's experience of temptation and our experience of temptation are not the same. And they are not the same, not because he was less human. No, not at all. He was the perfect human, right? Perfect human nature. But because his heart was not divided, ours are. He saw no desire to do evil. He was still tempted by it because it had no hold on him. For he knew what it was because his heart was totally given to the Father. Hmm. Our experience of temptation is different because our hearts and desires are disordered and they're broken and they, and they are not totally in sync with that which we would one day hope to have in heaven. So there is for the things that tempt us, they tempt us because they arouse in us the desires to want them. So once again, where are we? In the world of the heart. And therefore, we need, what I will suggest is, part of a good Lenten discipline is to look into the heart and ask yourself, what do you really want? What do you really want? And it can be both good and evil. It can be both morally acceptable or, or an act of great grace, and it could also be sinful. Right? And to the extent that we admit that, we can work on the sinfulness. Yeah. But you don't choose what you don't want. That's the bottom line. You don't choose what you don't want unless you are rising to do good for behalf of a neighbor or an enemy, and that is an act of pure love. You choose the good of another. That's sublime Christian life. But ordinarily speaking, when we fall into sin, we fall into sin because we're choosing to do the things we want even when we sometimes won't admit that they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's the mystery of temptation. The father of evil knows what you really want. And he will package it in such a way that you will choose what you want and get yourself into trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So what about mortification? Mortification is to mortify, right, your desires. And that's not the desire for God or the desire for grace. No, it's the desires for the things that will get us into trouble and possibly sin. Yeah. It occurs to me, you're talking about sin and temptation, that um, 
uh, I can't remember exactly, but I don't think Jesus negotiates with the devil. He doesn't even engage him in a back and forth. He's just basically says, nope, not going to happen. And it's a good model for us because because <laughs> we're not God. And once we start trying to negotiate with the devil, we're going to lose that pretty much sure. every time. Sure, sure. Well, what was it? It was power, right? It was possessions. It's pleasure. So what would be the reason to deny yourself gratification? I like to eat. I like it. I like to drink. I like to uh, look at things that can arouse me. I like to engage in conversation that um, lifts me and flatters me. You could, you could keep going on and on and on. I like this, I like this, I like this. I, the bottom line is, every pornographer and everyone else has already stumbled on, that's how you hook people into this stuff. Right? So the question is, what can be so compelling that I would voluntarily give up these gratifications, these desires? That is the question of who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. Who am I to you? And that's ultimately what Lent is all about. Lent is all about getting to Calvary and looking at the bruised and broken and crucified body of Christ on the cross and answer that question, who are you to me? Because if it is you are my Lord and my God, you are my Savior, you are my gentle shepherd, then you know what? My gratification is not that important. My desires are not that important anymore. That's when the grip of sin, right, begins to loosen in Lent and going into Easter begins to have perhaps a new life being born. Yeah. So that would be, um, that would also be a reason why, even with young children, just the idea of giving up candy or something would still work because... You're, you're setting them on that path towards, towards maybe not understanding right. it, but practicing right. that. Right. And therefore, since this is really a question of the desires of the heart, do you see how insidious and evil it is when we expose young children to sexual content and begin to instill in them this desire for gratification when they don't even know what it is they're getting involved with? Yeah. Right? And it's all over. It's demonic. And that, and that becomes a, dis, right? And it becomes a, or any other things for that matter. Or you live in a world where you're never good enough. We've talked about this before. And therefore, you seek the gratification of being good enough, handsome enough, and beautiful enough. And you can never achieve it because there's yeah. no absolute standard you're ever going to reach. Okay? So their hearts are being enslaved, their desires are becoming disordered. And how do you preach the good news there? You need a liberator. 
See, that's what Lent is all about, because there's not a person listening to this podcast who, in some, myself included, who has not one time or another become enslaved. Because I like, I like to do this. Oh, that's wonderful. But is that desire leading you to salvation? Is serving the Lord? Can you bring that desire to the foot of the cross and look, still look at him into his eyes? Because if you can't, you got a problem. Yeah. Yep. Before we take a break, Excellency, I want to kind of put you on the spot and ask you uh, if you can give um, uh, a recommendation on a good spiritual book for this Lent for the listeners and for me. Oh. um, There was, and I don't know the, I don't remember the exact title but every Lent, and I should know it, but I, because there's so much stuff swirling in my head, it, Fulton Sheen's uh, The Seven Last Words of Christ. I would awesome. recommend that, without a doubt. Okay. Um, Doctor at Calvary, whose author I don't remember. You've read The Doctor at Calvary? No, but I know of it. Oh, what a great book. Yeah. And it's written by a physician that explores just from a medical point of view what crucifixion, I read it when I was in high school. It brought me to tears. That I would highly recommend for Lent because the, re- the more real the crucifixion of Christ becomes, the more, the more compelling it is when we get to Calvary and look into his eyes the more compelling it is to say all my desires bundled up together for all the things I seek gratification for, what do they amount for what you have just suffered for me? For your only desire is that I be with you forever. Yeah. Yeah. The the passion of the Christ does that as well. You can't watch that and not say, oh, man, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I told you my favorite scene in The Passion of the Christ. Remember? Do you remember? I think I do. Was it uh, when Mary was running to Jesus? When, yes. And that one, yes. And there's another. Okay. When Christ had been scourged and was below in the chamber. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Our Lady sensed his presence and put her face to the pavement. Yes. And then he looked up through the ceiling as well. Because because truth need not words. Mm. Truth is an intuition as well. Right? So all of the desires of the contemporary world that we're told we should have we should cultivate. In that moment, none of that was there. And yet that moment, as it's depicted in that movie, was almost as if you took a knife and it's the, it's, it's, it is love that just cut through all the nonsense of life, just cut it apart, and you have a moment of clarity what life's really all about. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Excellency, let's, let's take one more break. I don't want this conversation to end, but we need to break. <laughs> we'll come back with a listener question uh, on Let Me Be Frank. Why do we need Catholic Radio? 
because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, what a conversation this week, Excellency. Every week it is. But uh, So let me, let me read you this question that we got in. Uh, it's anonymous. It says, Bishop Frank, I have mm-hmm. friends who disagree with Pope Francis on many things. Mm-hmm. Some have even gone so far as to say the Pope is not Catholic. Mm-hmm. In what ways are we allowed to disagree with the Pope? Okay, so the first thing, anybody who comes to the conclusion that the Pope is not Catholic, that is just sheer nonsense, number one, just for the record. Having said that, um, there is a difference between dissent and disagree, and there's a difference between when the Pope speaks in magisterial authority And when the Pope, for example, offers an opinion on something which is not necessarily part of the deposit of faith. The reason I make that distinction is because we now have a Pope that gives regular interviews to the media. One of the things we need to remember is, and I've had this firsthand in my own little life, that I would take somewhat a cautious approach when someone is quoted in the media, whether or not the quote is accurate and whether the quote's in context. Mm -hmm. But when the Pope is interviewed now, he's not just teaching magisterial teaching, he's offering opinions on certain things. So when the Pope is offering an opinion on something, you are certainly free, if you have a, a, a differing opinion, to be able to say so. But that's different from dissenting from the faith. No Catholic can dissent in good conscience, should not dissent from that which the Pope teaches in union with the magisterium and the tradition of the church. We speak of a religious submission of mind and intellect or will and intellect to the truths of faith. Mm -hmm. So I'm not exactly sure what the context of the question is, but but to answer it in the generic, when the, when the Holy Father teaches in his capacity as the successor of Peter and the head of the College of Bishops, when he speaks in the name of the magisterium of which he is, its head, then Catholics cannot dissent from that and remain in good standing. It just is, the truth is not open for negotiation. That's yes. what it is, the bottom yep. line. All right. However, if he offers an opinion, on something, certainly you have freedom to offer a of contrary opinion, I suppose, and whatever it may be. Yeah, right. right. And when he teaches uh, with that, with the infallible authority, it's it's not it's rare. Well, yes, speaking infallibly, but then there's ordinary magisterium, which needs to have a submission, a religious submission, of of um, mind and will, right? Because. The Pope has not declared infallible every doctrine of faith. There's only been a few Mm -hmm. in the Petrine office. The ecumenical councils have taught them. 
in union with the Pope. So, so a lot of what we believe has been defined one way or the other. And while, remember, Vincent of Lerens, while there is a development of doctrine insofar as our understanding of doctrine develops because of circumstances that change and broaden, the truth itself remains unchanged. And sometimes people understand that as an organic development that somehow in the 20th century, the truth is different than what the truth was in the fourth century. And so the question I would respond back at 62 years old, it's the same Frank Joseph Caggiano who was 10 years old, right? But there's a lot more of me now, (laughs) okay? So I'm much more developed (laughs) in many ways, okay? But the truth is the truth. Yes. Person is the person, right? So it's the same idea. So, no, dissent, no, that should not be. Disagreement on opinions, yeah, of course. Right, yep, great. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, please send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Excellency, um, on this Ash Wednesday, would you please give us your blessing? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us into life from dust, and one day unto dust we shall return. May this time of Lent be a time of conversion and repentance and of renewal in our lives and the lives of all your people. May the specter of our death not be a cause of discouragement but a cause of encouragement, for it will be the threshold for those who are faithful to the glory of an eternal life. So send your spirit upon us to bless us and walk with us in this journey of Lent. For we make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, Steve, I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency. Okay.